Welcome to Play by Players, an MLSPA podcast. This show is brought to you by the players and is all about the players, both past and present, who have plied their trade in MLS. You'll hear about each player's journey into the game, their careers and life after the game, on the field and off. It's all on the table. Now here's your host, former MLS player, Bobby Boswell. All right, we are joined today by a very, very special person. Uh, it's someone that uh, most of the fans have a lot of questions about. They don't hear from him uh, very often. He's he's kind of a withdrawn from the public eye type of guy. Uh, I think guys are going to be really impressed with with uh, the things he talks about, and you're really going to see some uh, some insight into his his personal life. Uh, this is a four-time MLS Best 11 player. He was the 2005 Defender of the Year winner. He was a six-time All-Star. I was actually on an All-Star team with him. He uh, won the MLS Open Cup. He's won an MLS Cup. He's played uh, in the World Cup. He tied the World Cup champions. Uh, he was a man of a match at a World Cup game. Uh, he's played in the Gold Cup. He's played in Copa America. We were actually in that together. He's played over 300 games as a professional soccer player. Uh, let's bring to the podcast, Mr. Jimmy Conrad. Hey, that's quite an intro, by the way. It seems like I've uh, played in a lot of cups. I think that's what I'm getting from this. Yeah, so you, you, uh, you, my friend, have quite, quite the uh, resume here, and uh, y- you actually are the first person on the podcast that we've interviewed that uh, that played in the '90s. So this, uh, that's a feed in of itself. <laughs> um, you know what? I'm out. I'm done. I don't agree to this interview anymore. That's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, I think I think th- this actually shows uh, insight into the past that we haven't seen before. Uh, so you know, and I, I can't really talk a whole lot. You, you, we retired in the same decade, so uh, you played a lot longer than I did. So that's that's actually impressive. Well, I appreciate that, Bobby. You had a hell of a career yourself. Well, this isn't about me. This is about you. And I, I'm going to dive right into it. And uh, you know, in the build up to these, I I uh, I do a lot of homework. And, and you'll see that in the questions I ask. And uh, I, I always write down the things that are of interest to me. And the first one, I always like to start at the beginning of your career. Uh, but in yours, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start at the beginning of your childhood. Uh, I, I read online your parents were, they had you when they were 18 or, or younger. Is that true? Yeah, that's correct. Uh, my dad had just turned 19 and then I was born and then my mom turned 19 shortly thereafter. Well, I think that's uh, that's awesome, man. I, I don't think a lot of people can can say that. Uh, maybe maybe in this generation, but in that past generation, that's pretty unique, and that that just kind of leads into the the unique person that is Jimmy Conrad. Uh, so we'll we'll fast forward. Uh, you went to UCLA. You won a national championship at UCLA, and you were a walk on. Uh, is that correct? That's correct. Yes. Keep going. And. and I, and I saw that you you had five seniors in your senior class, and all four of the other ones were drafted, uh, except you. And and I'm I'm curious who who were the other four that were drafted? Uh, they're just bastards. That's what I call them. I'm just kidding, Bobby. <laughs> uh, Matt Reese, Kevin Coy, Nick Thesloff, who's now an assistant at Toronto FC, Josh Keller, who's still involved in the game, and uh, yeah, Matt Reese, of course, everybody knows that he's still involved coaching Columbus Crew, goalkeeper coach. Well, I, I, I mean, other than maybe Matt, I, I would say you, you went on to have probably the, the best career of, of all of those. You could even argue that I, I think you probably had a better career than Matt. Um, he probably won't appreciate me saying that, but, um, I think he, you know, I think he would t- talk to me it. about, I think you'd acknowledge it. 
You know? Yeah, talk, talk to me. I, I, I too was undrafted, but uh, to walk, walk me through. Did you expect to be drafted? Did you think um, you got slighted or, or, or you know, what was going through your head when you were looking to go from college to professional? I assumed that I would have gotten drafted because since we were the best team in Division One by winning the championship, it just seemed that it would be a natural calling to want to, as a, as a professional coach, to be involved with the seniors that were involved with uh, winning that, that trophy. So in that way, yeah, I, I don't know if I felt slighted per se. Uh, I didn't feel like I had that healthy dose of a sense of entitlement that maybe permeates in some of our culture now. Uh, but, but I did feel a little let down because I thought I had done enough to prove myself that I deserved a look. And when I didn't get that look, I, I was pretty crushed. However, because I had that walk-on mentality, you know, it was a very uh, easy transition for me after feeling sorry for myself for a little bit to pick myself back up and get after it and just reprove myself all over again. And that's what I did. And I think that probably had uh, a lot to do with why I had the success that I did is because I was a little bit tougher mentally than I think some of the other players that maybe didn't deal with adversity as well. Okay. And we'll get into, we'll get into what happens next, but before I I've heard you say before, I know you're a big, I love this about you. You're a big prideful guy about the state you're from and not just the state. You're actually proud of South, uh, Southern California. And you've said on record, by the way, that you believe that if you assemble the best players from Southern California over past, present and future, that they would actually beat not just an MLS team, they would beat the U S men's national team. Uh, do you, do you still stand by that? I do 100%. I think the talent that we're producing there, uh, is quite good. And, and I had evidence we would do these types of games at camp under Bruce arena and it would be Southern California versus the rest of the country. And we would win. So I don't know. I mean, I don't know what else there needs to be. There's no, there's no refuting the facts and what I lived through. Well, well, I'm not going to argue with you on, I've seen some of the names there, but I I will pose this question uh, for our, our, our listeners love a a good challenge. And we talk draft class challenges and things of that nature. But for you, uh, I, I say the UCLA alumni, would you say that the, the people that have been through UCLA past, present and uh, current uh, or future rather, would you, would you put them against any other college in the nation? Or do you think maybe the UVAs of, of the past, uh, or maybe even now Maryland, uh, would, would, would rival you guys in terms of, uh, of professional players? I think now that more time has passed, you know, some of these other universities that you've mentioned, well, Virginia has always been pretty good. They won four straight titles, I think under Claudio Reyna. So yeah, there's a lot of talent there. And anytime you have a Ben Olsen on your team, you know, being scrappy in the middle of midfield, that always gives your team a chance. You know, I, IU, I'm sure Indiana University would probably want to throw their, their name in the hat, St. Louis as well. But yeah, Maryland obviously has had a lot of success uh, in recent years. And so, yeah, I think there'd be some more challenges there. But with regard to Southern California, yeah, we're the best. Okay. And, and qu- I'm, I'm not trying to be funny here. Oh, There's sure some really not. impressive uh-huh. guys. There's some really impressive guys that went to school uh, at UCLA. Are, are you starting at center back for UCLA? <laughs> I'd like to say yes, given what I've accomplished in my career. But you know what's really interesting is that uh, when we went back to uh, UCLA, unfortunately for Ziggy Schmidt's funeral, rest in peace, we did a little pickup game with all the old players that I used to play with uh, back in the day. Matt Reese, Josh Keller, the guys I mentioned, Tommy Portal, Sean Chakiris, uh Ryan Futagaki, 
uh, it was a, it was a nice mix of guys. And because I came into that team as a walk on, I still embodied that not feeling good enough, never feeling good enough around those guys. It was the craziest thing. Even though I had accomplished more than every single player out there, when I got back into those familiar settings and seeing the school, I went back into not feeling very uh, confident, being insecure. It was it was a trip for about 15 or 20 minutes. I just like couldn't make any passes. It was it was unbelievable uh, the mind trip that I went under for that. And then obviously I relaxed and just played, and it was fine. But but about 15 or 20 minutes, I felt. Uh, like I was that guy that had a lot to prove and didn't feel good enough to be uh, in their presence and playing at UCLA. Well, that is interesting. I, I, I went through the list and you're definitely starting. It was, <laughs> I was just curious to see if, 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 if it would that. be, you know, at maybe at, at holding mid uh, or, or uh, no. center back. I think the big, the big question mark would be who plays in goal. Um, and, and, you know, that would, that's a I lot think to Nick choose would, from would make a case. He would make a case he could play forward, but uh, we'll, we'll move past it. You, you brought up, <laughs> You brought up Ziggy Schmidt. Um, you know, he was your coach uh, there. I know that you met Will through there, and, and I know Will. I met Will through you in, in one of the camps in California. But um, I want to talk about a really, really cool story that people might not know. And uh, can you talk about uh, what Ziggy did when you were a professional and you had a red card? Uh, can you walk us through that one real quick? Yeah, Ziggy was my coach at UCLA, somebody I had looked up to for a really long time. Because there was no MLS when I was a kid, uh, the, the, the best games we could, could see in person were UCLA games. And so I would go watch Ziggy, you know, uh, stalking the sidelines, yelling at Kobe Jones and Joe Max Moore and Brad Friedel. So when he ended up being my coach, it was a big thrill for me because he's somebody I admired for a long time. So now fast forward to this situation where he's now the coach of the Galaxy. I'm playing for the San Jose Earthquakes. And at that time, my, my stepdad, who I'd lived with since I was three, he... Uh, contracted uh, cancer through melanoma, and it was very aggressive. And we played at the Rose Bowl. It was uh, San Jose versus L.A. And I had always played outside of the Rose Bowl when I was a kid, so to actually play inside of it was always a big thrill for me. And he was not doing well, my stepdad, and this was probably going to be the last opportunity for him to see me play uh, in person. So it was very emotional for me, but what happened the game before was that I got a yellow card against the Columbus crew and I had accumulated enough yellow card points that I had to sit out the next game, which was this game in LA against the Galaxy. And I had just lost my mind. I was so upset after the game. Nobody understood why on my team because I had never didn't mention anything. I was really, really close, tried to keep all those emotions uh, to myself because I didn't want to, I don't know if I thought it would impact my professionalism at all to bring the personal life into it, but that's kind of how I walked that path at that time. And so once it got, it was clear that I was out the word got out as to why I was upset, and Ziggy called me, and he just wanted to know a little bit more about the situation, and he said, we'll absolutely get that changed. You can just serve that suspension later on in the season. So I got to play in front of uh, my stepdad. He passed away four months later, and uh, it was a big thrill for me, and it meant a lot to me, and I actually get quite emotional thinking about it. Yeah, that's actually, I, I read that and I was so, I was so touched by it. I, I really was. And I, I think it's for people that don't know, I mean, you, you only had like three red cards in your whole career. I, I think you had one year where you uh, maybe accumulated nine yellow cards. Uh, I was but a little I don't aggressive. Think you really yeah, we all had, go through that. We all go through that you, phase, Bobby. You know what I mean? You know, but but, gotta... but over the, over the course of a, of a, of a decade, a long, even longer career, uh, you, you 
very rarely missed games for suspension. So uh, this was kind of impressive that, you know, I call it, I don't, I don't want to get spiritual, but it was kind of uh, lucky that you were able to have a suspension against a coach that was willing to do that. So, uh, you know, that, that to me is uh, it's unheard of. And I'd be interested to see if there was any coach in this league now that has enough job security that would do that for one of his former players. So, um, you know, we always, I don't want to go too far into Ziggy, but I think that's a really cool story. And I'm really happy for you on that regard. Yeah, thank you so much. It meant a lot, not only to me, but to my family, and, and I'm sure to uh, my stepdad at the time. And, uh, you know, he got down on the field. And, yeah, I mean, we have some great photos from it, and he's beaming, you know. It was just like one of his last times that he could go out in public. And so that was a big thing for a lot of our friends, too, because they didn't get to spend any time with him in a meaningful way after that. And so it's it's something that we still talk about, and I can't thank Ziggy enough for, for allowing that to happen. Okay, so then we we're, we kind of jumped ahead to your MLS career there, but before that, uh, you, you don't get drafted and you end up uh, going to the A League, uh, which a lot of people, uh, you know, they became MLS fans. Yeah, we, we won't we won't judge them, but later in life, uh, and they didn't realize they didn't realize what the A League was. Uh, it, you played for the the San Diego Flash. Uh, talk us about talk to us about going from college, not getting drafted, now you're in the A League. Yeah, so it was disappointing because I felt like I was good enough to play in MLS, but it ended up being a blessing in disguise because even if I had gotten drafted, because of how the teams were set up, you had to make the 18-man roster. There are no extra roster spots. There was no Generation Adidas or homegrown stuff or whatever it is. You had to make the 18. And I knew that if I made the 18, the odds of me playing regularly were pretty slim. So I got to go down uh, to play in San Diego. It wasn't too far. I got to stay... Uh, at, at family. I slept on floors. Ultimately, I made $800 a month. I was eating top ramen. I was training in the morning there and then training by myself in the afternoons, uh, doing a lot of like tennis ball work to continue to work on my, my skills and lifting as well, doing everything I possibly could to give myself an advantage to, to, to go forward. And it ended up being one of my favorite years as a professional. I played, I played 30 games, I think in six months, we got to, because we were down and close to the Mexican border, we got to get games against Toluca and Nacoxa. And they brought their teams, man, because they were they were in their preseason and they were trying to get them those guys sharp and great experience playing against those guys. And just the amount of games. Like you figure out right then whether you want to be a professional or not, because it's not about the money. It's not about the fame. There's no social media. It's not about a blue check mark. You know, it's not about any of that stuff. It's just because you want to prove to yourself that you can play at the highest level in this country. And and that is where you decide. Uh, if this is for you or, or if it's not. And and for me, I loved it. And I look back on that year fondly because I had everything to gain and nothing to lose. And I, I had the right attitude about it. And it's really something I've leaned on now, especially post-retirement when I've had to start over. Yeah. And, and, and talk to me about some of the guys on that team. I, I there's, it wasn't like this was, uh, you, you know, uh, there were, it wasn't that there were nobodies on these teams. Uh, the team you were on had some, had some, had some actually pretty impressive names on there. Uh, tell, tell us about some of the guys on that team. Well, Joe Cannon uh, is, is the guy that probably people will know the most because he had a very successful MLS career and, and played for the national team a few times and very good goalkeeper. He's in the Earthquakes Hall of Fame. Still one of my good friends because I think we lived through this experience together and we both got called up to the Quakes at the same time too. So, you know, he was behind me and obviously we got to build a rapport uh, in some situations where you're playing four games in six days. And this is the craziest stuff. Uh, and, and you figure it out. My favorite part, though, of the story, and I want to add this in because we had a coach, 
Ralph Wilhelms, who we were eight and eight after 16 games, and he got this opportunity to go coach back in Hungary or something. He was a good coach, and I really liked and learned from him. But then they left us with two guys who I love, but were kind of more like used car salesmen. They didn't really know the game. And so we were pretty much in charge of ourselves. We rattled off, Bobby, 18 out of 20 wins in the next, uh, out of the next 20 games. We won 18 times. It was ridiculous. We got all the way to the, the A-League semifinals, and we lost uh, to Buzz Lagos and, and an incredible Minnesota team who I think ended up going on to win it. And we lost 2-1. It wasn't too far off. But we had so much talent. We had Carlos Farias, who had a cup of coffee in MLS, was an indoor legend. Jerome Watson is still a friend. Uh, Noah Gins, uh, he's now like running point for soccer, youth soccer in San Diego. Uh, there's just I could keep going with the names, but yeah, we were we were a really talented team, and I think us winning 18 out of 20 proved that. And and to do that without a coach was always something we still smile and laugh about. We should get that team back together. I think we'd be a good over 40 team at this point. <laughs> well, it's funny you, you mentioned that you said before you went to the uh, the earthquakes, but was it the earthquakes when you went there? Or was it still no, the San it was Jose a clash, clash? You're right. Yeah, San Jose Clash. You're right. That's correct. Okay, we so you go, you get called up, uh, and you go to the Clash. I think they brought you and Joe along uh, from that team. Is that the only two guys that made the the jump? The, we had Carlos Farias came with me, and I think uh, Anthony Farace came as well. Um, I'm pretty sure all four of us stuck through preseason and made the team, but then, <laughs> but then uh, Carlos, Carlos, and and Anthony, I think they they. I don't know if they lasted the whole year. I think they might have got let go. But they were both really talented guys. And I actually, I haven't spoken to them in years. It'd be cool to see what they're doing now. But uh, really talented guys. Uh, uh, his name was Chile. Chile Farias was, I mean, one of the best left, left feet I've ever seen. And uh, he could score some banger of goals. So it was a special time. And, and uh, for Joe and I in particular, though, to live that, that experience and to be able to kind of look at each other and always stay humbled throughout our process as we continue to grow as players and to get more success on an individual basis in the league. You know, it was always nice to kind of look at him and, and, and know exactly where we came from. Okay. Did, did, you, uh, did he consult with you before he got that license tag that he got, or was <laughs> that all him? No, no, that's all Joe. You know, you got you to gotta let goalkeepers be themselves. Otherwise, they won't play as well. Yeah, for those of you who don't know, uh, Joe Cannon got the license tag that said GK Joe was his license tag, and he's he's known around MLS and circles as GK Joe. So, uh, well, but also, were, also know, wait, 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 I got to go back. He had a because uh, at that point it was AOL Instant Messenger. His his, his handle was <laughs> his handle was num one number one bomb num one bomb was his name. So we'd always give him a hard time calling him num one bomb, but then he switched it to GK Joe, and that's what stuck. Okay. Okay. That's, that's, that's what you're here for, man. The insights, the insights, <laughs> uh, but, but okay. You'll, you'll notice a theme over, over the course of uh, this interview with Jimmy. Uh, Jimmy keeps referencing guys that are still in the game. Uh, I, I've interviewed a, a handful of guys and, and I've never seen a more impressive list of guys that has, has, uh, that has had this many teammates who have gone on to either be, uh, work in the league office work as GMs, work as head coaches, assistant coaches. So uh, as I go through these next couple of years and guys on your teams, I'm going to point some names out. Feel free to uh, to go off on any stories on a couple of these guys. But you guys become the San Jose Clash. Or sorry, you get moved to the San Jose Clash. Uh, that's where you join Richard Mulrooney. Uh, I think Caleb Porter was on one of those teams. Yeah, you have Raul Diaz-Arce. Yeah, Sir Ronald Cerritos, Wade Barrett. You have Eddie Lewis, uh, John Doyle. That that's just the start of you joining this team. Is that correct? Yeah, that's just the start. We uh, had a pretty uh, talented group of guys, 
Uh, we didn't make as much noise as I think we should have in 99, but uh, it was, yeah, you're right. You're right. I mean, we were surrounded by guys that still have an impact on the game today. So it's been, it's been pretty cool to see how it all plays out. Yeah. And then in 2000, they kind of rebrand back to the earthquakes, um, you know, questionable, questionable name in the clash. So they decide, Hey, let's name it after a natural disaster again. <laughs> uh, but then, but then you've got, you've got Mike Burns, Giovanni Savarese, Ian Russell. Those are, uh, you know, a yeah. couple names, uh, that 2000 squad. I mean, w- when you're playing with all these guys that go on to become coaches, I mean, at the time, uh, you know, and, and I, I, I know you, Jimmy, I, I think you're a very knowledgeable guy. You're very smart. You read the game better than, than most. Uh, did you feel like, even though you're a young guy, did, you know, you joke around and say, I sucked, uh, in preseason and things of that nature. But I mean, you're, you're with a pretty impressive group of characters here that, that have gone on to do, do some inc- incredible things with this league. Um, do you, did you notice, uh, that may, maybe I'm getting a good education from these older guys or were you holding your own as a young guy? No, I think there was a little bit of both. You know, obviously you want to prove yourself as a young guy and just like you and your career where, you know, it's important because that's how you earn respect. Getting respect from your peers is the the number one thing and and everything else is a byproduct of continuing to prove that on a daily basis. So, you know, you wanted to earn their respect and part of earning that respect was speaking at the right time. That's one. And also listening and being a better listener. Um, So, yeah, you were privy to a lot of conversations. You were privy to a lot of the things that they wanted to change with the league. You know, and, and uh, you know, I remember sitting in, in a locker room with Mike Burns, Dan Kalichman, who is an assistant at Toronto FC now, um, you know, all these guys and just listening to them and what they went through, you know, and all the struggles that they went to to get to this point. Uh, at that point was like 99 or 2000. And, you know, and then then it's then it's my turn as I become an older guy, you know, to kind of share the same types of stories and to kind of give back so we can continue to grow this game in a positive way. So, it, yeah, it was I, I don't. I don't know if I knew that those guys were going to turn into GMs and coaches. I don't know if I had that type of foresight, but I will say that they really cared about the sport in this country. They wanted it to grow and they had some ideas about how to make that happen. And so in hindsight, it definitely looks like, yeah, they were, they were grooming themselves or they were thinking in those ways, more front office type ways to, to try to impact the game in a positive way. All right. Well then let's fast forward. 2001, you get Jeff Agus, Manny Lagos, d Landon Donovan, you get Eddie Robinson, I think Lucci Gonzalez joined y'all the next year, but uh, the one name I want to talk about because uh, you played the same position, and I've I've heard incredible stories about this guy from teammates over the years. Uh, you played with Troy Dyack. Did he <laughs> did he have a did you have a good relationship with Troy? And and if not, uh, I'd want I'd love to hear about that. But I'm assuming like everyone else, you did have a good relationship. And and tell me any good Troy stories before we move on. Yeah, Troy Dyack is one of a kind. There's no question. And, and the number one reason why he got brought in was because I broke my foot in preseason. So ahead of 2001, I was slotted to play next to Jeff Agus uh, in our back four. And then I broke my foot. I was out, you know, two or three months. And when I came back, well, they got Troy Dyack. When I came back into the team and was healthy enough to play, we were in the midst of a 19-game unbeaten streak. We had an excellent team. We won the Landon Donovan sweepstakes. You know, we have Dwayne De Rosario coming off our bench. You know, we, 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 we were just, we were stacked in every single area. So it was very cool to, uh, to be a part of that team. And I look back on that team fondly, not only because we won MLS Cup, but because it was Frankie Alves' first year as a coach. Uh, Dom was in the team as the assistant. You know, it was just, it was like a perfect storm of that. And they made practices really tight. We had 18 to 20 guys tops. Uh, we were really close-knit. Uh, and it was a really special experience. And I can't remember what your question was, but I'm just going to continue to fawn over how, uh, no, what, yeah, what it's no, like to win MLS no, Cup. It, 
Yeah, you, yeah, no, they, y'all were a great group. You do win it. I think Dero gets. Uh, for those that don't know, he says Dero come comes off the bench. He won MLS MVP and he came on in the 85th minute, um, yep. which tells you uh, what kind of guy he was. So, um, all right, well then let's. I don't want you to go too far into it, but I want to talk about you, you. You went abroad a little bit. I think that off season, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you go to Poland of all places. How do you end up going to Poland? And, and tell me about uh, that adventure. Yeah, so that was a. Interesting one. That was in 2000. So that was before the year, the, the 2001 season. And that was at a time where if you didn't make the playoffs in MLS, your season ended mid-September and you didn't have to report until beginning of January. I mean, that was a lengthy, lengthy offseason. So there was an opportunity because we had uh, the one of the reigning or recent Herman Award winners, which is the Heisman for college soccer, Wojtek Krakowiak, who came out of Clemson. He was uh, on our team. He was our number one pick uh, the following or the the previous draft in 2000, and him and Ian Russell and I all went to went to Poland. It wasn't uh, my first choice. Obviously, it's not the sexiest league in Europe, but it was an opportunity to go over there and to help a team fight relegation and to help a team get in their cup competition and to be a part of something that's entrenched in their community in a way that I had never seen before. So it was a great experience for me. I liken it very much to the San Diego Flash where you play a lot of games in a short period of time. You're outside of your bubble. You're not playing with your friends anymore. You have to learn a whole different kind of set. You're playing, yeah, I mean, just you got to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. And because we're Americans, we had a target on our back that we weren't very good. Uh, I got punched in the face. I got spat on. Uh, There were all types of stuff. People would throw stuff. They just try to throw you off your game. And that made me a lot tougher. And I really appreciate uh, that experience. And I, I wish it had been longer. I wish that more players, young, our younger players, had an opportunity to do that. I don't know why we don't consider that more. It, it seems like an anomaly now that we would send one of our younger players over for a couple months to potentially go to a lower division team. It would, they would come back so much better and with so much more perspective on, on how to become better professionals, how to be better athletes, how to take care of themselves and and how to be tougher, man. We, we probably could have a long conversation about, you know, I love what's happening here in this country. I don't know if you want to go this direction, but, and, and that there's more kids playing, but it feels like we're doing more cookie cutter kids. You know, they're not, we're, we're almost in an effort to control everything. We've, we've uh, taken over their personalities. They're not allowed to necessarily be themselves. And I think there's a balance there and hopefully it'll start swinging back the other way, but this would be a good opportunity for them to learn about themselves as people and as players, about what they really want and if this is really what they want for their life. And you, you, you can't replicate those opportunities going overseas, playing somewhere else, playing in a lower division, sleeping on floors, barely making any money. You, you, you can't do you. What are you going to do that in a really fancy field? You know, that you just there's just nothing you can do to replicate that type of stuff. You have to live it. And I wish that we would provide more opportunities for our kids in that way. How's that for, for spinning yeah. that in a completely different direction? Yeah, no, I, <laughs> I'm listen, a master. I agree, and, and I think that anyone that that uh, that follows you and uh, you know any they consume uh, anything that you put out outside of uh, the the stuff where you're you're having fun and joking, which I think you do almost all the time. But you you're very vocal <laughs> about uh, you're very vocal about your your post career uh, trying to get into coaching and running camps and things of that nature. So I I think that uh, they consume that. I'm gonna I'm gonna pull it back just to stay on course. Sure, sure. Um, but I agree. I agree. I, I went to Turkey in my off season one year to try to get a contract. And, uh, same, like you said, it was not a very welcoming experience. Uh, didn't have a very, uh, good experience in terms of how I played, but, uh, it definitely made me a better player. So I, I, I can concur that, uh, what you're saying is true from, from my own perspective, but, um, 
you know, we'll we'll keep it moving. I, I you you come back to wait, San wait, wait, Jose. Wait, 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 wait. Uh, We're not going to keep it moving. I'm going to pull it back because I remember what you said before. Troy Dyack. <laughs> I got a Troy Dyack story. Okay, so Troy uh, okay, Dyack. Okay, okay. I wish we had like a visual. I could, sh- could show people what this looks like. But he comes in one of the first times I've ever seen him before a game day. He's got cowboy boots on, the like leather pants that are as tight as I've ever seen leather pants on any human being. He's only wearing a leather vest, and he shaved his chest hair right down the middle. So just so like, you know, when you're wearing a vest, there's no shirt, by the way, it's just a vest. And he shaved it right down the middle. So like, his, like that little spot that only the vest can show on your skin, he's got his chest hair just with a I'm like, this guy is insane. And he's got the cowboy hat to match. I just, his dedication to, to his look on game days is second to none. And I think you could probably write a whole book. On, on his fashion sense. And I don't think he gets enough credit for it, frankly. But I miss that guy. It, I learned a lot it, from him. He, he is tough as nails, that guy. And, uh, and really loyal. If you're on did, his team, he's a great guy to have on your team. If you're not on his team, he doesn't like you so much. Yeah, and did, did he ride a motorcycle in that, that yes, game? Yes, he or? did ride a motorcycle in. You're right. Also, I'll, I'll give you an example. Yeah. Of, he tried to punch me in the face when I was in Kansas City. We were beating them in the playoffs. And he, he like went up and tried to elbow me in the face. Because he was so pissed that we were winning and we we're gonna knock him out, and he smashed his teammate Brian Ching in the face. And Ching was like, well, "Dude, why'd you just hit me in the face?" It was one of the funniest interactions I've ever seen uh, on the field before. And and Troy's like, you know how he grunts and all that stuff. You don't even understand like half every third word maybe you get with him. And Chingy was still flabbergasted. I, I'd love to talk to Chingy now about that whole play because Troy smashed him. Well, listen, I, I talked to Brian a lot. He can't remember anything from last <laughs> week, so I don't, I, I don't think he'll remember that, but that's fair. Um, but you brought up, you brought up Kansas city. Um, you end up getting traded to, to Kansas city and, uh, you know, talk to me about, you know, you're on a team that that's been successful. You like the team and then you get traded to, uh, this is not the can sporting Kansas city, uh, team that we know nowadays. This is, uh, the Kansas city wizards playing at Arrowhead stadium, uh, you know, what, what are your emotions when you get traded in the middle uh, you know, you're enjoying yourself in California, you're a California guy. And now you're going to uh, the Midwest. Tell me about it. Well, I think one of the things that most people around the world that follow the beautiful game can't wrap their heads around is being traded to another team without your permission. That is very American, very American sports. So when that happened to me and it came out of nowhere, uh, I was pretty shocked. I knew that well, at least in my head, I thought that I was going to get a good opportunity with the Quakes that year, but maybe something happens. I, I, I think I ruffled Dom's feathers the wrong way with regard to you know me itching for a little bit more playing time, being trusted a little bit more. I think it was more of a trust thing. I just didn't feel like I was trusted by them. So I was kind of poking around trying to earn that trust and maybe not getting that reciprocated. So I, I think I was acting out if I look back on it honestly. And by me acting out, I think that just rubbed Dom the wrong way and he traded me on draft day. So I went to Kansas City. And I had to prove myself all over again to a new, new set of guys. And what really hurt was that we made the playoffs that year. This is 2003. And we faced San Jose in the semifinals. Now, in the quarterfinals, that's when San Jose had that probably the best MLS game of all time when they were down 4-0 in leg two against the Galaxy. And they scored five goals to win. If, we had, if they had lost, like we were hoping, we were going to play. We were going to host the Galaxy, I think, with the right to go to MLS Cup, which ended up happening the following year. But we ended up playing San Jose. We play in San Jose, and I thought, oh, here's my big chance. I get to you know, stick it to my former team and the coaches that didn't want me anymore and all that good stuff. And Landon Donovan does Landon Donovan things, and he scores in overtime, and we lose. And I was just distraught. And they go on to win it. You know? And there's no, 
It's a really crummy feeling when your former team trades you and then they go on to win MLS Cup. You know, I'd like to just say and be diplomatic. Oh, no, it's great. I'm really happy for him. No, I wasn't happy for him. It sucked, you know. So <laughs> it hurts, you know. And I actually saw Chad Marshall uh, in Seattle for MLS Cup this time around, and he retired, and the team wins it without him. And, and you know, I'm sure he's happy for everybody. He's, you know, he's been a part of that club and a uh, big reason why they'd won and had success in the past. But it's got to hurt all the same. He's a human being. Uh, you think that you're valuable, but in some ways we're all replaceable. So... You know, you go through that process and you work through it. And we got to MLS Cup the following year. Unfortunately, we lost because Aleko Eskandarian's a cheater. But, um, and the referees, you know, turned a blind eye to Aleko cheating. Uh, I'm just kidding. Give it a hard time. I love giving Aleko a hard time. He did. It was a handball, by the way. And I think, were you on that team in 04? I, 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 it was a handball. He's come out and admitted. He's admitted Good. that that was a handball. It was a but I think he handball. does that just... Just to troll you. He does. He does. Wait, was were you on that team in 04? Were you on the DC I, team? When, I, I, no, I, I'm the cooler, Jimmy. I come in after teams win, and I cool them off. <laughs> I got you. I respect that role. That's nice of you, Bobby. Yeah, someone, someone's got to do it, and I'm the guy. So, um, But no, no. That's an, you bring up an interesting point. That that was a very good uh, group. You had a, a very good run in Kansas City. Um, you know, I can, I, I talk about the coaches and, and GMs and presidents, uh, you know, while you're there, you have Davey Arnault, Chris Klein, Josh Wolf, Kerry Zavagnin, Tony Miola. Uh, there's a throwback. Precky's there. Um, you know, we, we talk about, you know, Eddie Johnson and you're a Moisissian. Uh, you have Hercules Gomez, Kevin Hartman, Claudio Lopez. And then of course, before you left, it was Matt Beezer, Graham Zussi, Kai Kamara. Those are more relevant names, but I want to go back to a name I didn't mention. Uh, I can, I can honestly say, Jimmy playing against you, you were never, uh, you know, you talk about Troy tried to hit you in the face. I, you were never, uh, a guy that I ever wanted to hit or punch. You never made me mad. Um, you were always a likable guy and you were a good player. So that was kind of a, an anomaly in a way, but, uh, for every, for, for as good as a guy as you were, Nick Garcia made up for everything the other way. Uh, and, and, and he was like, so hated by everybody that played against him as his partner in the center, uh, of the back. Did y'all get along? And, and was he a good guy? Was he a good teammate? So I, like everybody else, when he wasn't on my team, I despise Nick Garcia. He, for people that maybe aren't familiar with him, he had some Sergio Ramos-type qualities of Real Madrid who just, there's just something about that guy. He'll, he'll do whatever it takes to win. He doesn't care if he's going to you know, drop an arm bar on Mo Salah in the Champions League final so his team win. He just doesn't care. And he, he's not going to apologize for it, and he's got no remorse. And that's kind of the same type of ethos that Nick Garcia approached the game. He doesn't care. He'll, he'll kick you when you're down. He'll pull your hair. He'll poke you in the eye. Like He doesn't care. So I didn't fully appreciate him until he was my teammate because I just let him do that stuff and I could be the nice, likable guy that you were describing. Um, and, and I thought that we had a nice contrast together because I knew that he was willing and able and, and highly desired the opportunity to kind of mix it up and be physical with everybody. And then I could maybe drop off and, and just cover and sweep and read the game a little bit. Not to say that he couldn't, but he seemed to, you know, and I think this speaks to every single player. There's something about the game that excites you. That's why you play, whether it's beating somebody on the dribble. I remember Freddie Adu, he could beat anybody on the dribble, but then he'd wait for you to catch up so he could do it again. You're like, no, Freddie, beat somebody and pass. Beat somebody or shoot. Beat somebody or do anything else in what you're doing. And I always thought that held him back, but that's what, <laughs> but that's what excited him about the game, was beating people and showing people up that way. For Nick Garcia, it was just 
being an ass, you know, and making it as miserable as possible for you if you're going up against him. And, and so we appreciated it in Kansas City. We understood what his reputation was. He knew his reputation, and he played right into it. So in some ways, it was pretty pretty genius. And 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 when we think about the league overall, I think we miss players like him. We miss guys that are willing to be the villain. We we it's sometimes I I feel like we try to control the narrative too much. Everybody's got to be nice and likable because of whatever reason. The league would be so much more interesting if we had a few more villains. As Zlatan Ibrahimovic raises his hand and says, I'll be the villain sometimes, you know, and, and he, he owns yeah. it. And he can back it up, which helps. But it would be nice if we had more of those guys that would just kind of, yeah, I feel like Nick Garcia could walk into a city, you know, we go play in Dallas, he'd be like, I hate Dallas, you know, and then all of a sudden you got 10,000 more people there because they just want to stick it to Nick Garcia and he would love it, you know? I mean, he's just that type of guy. I mean, you know, and, and, well, I, and I, feel I wish like- we had a little bit more of that. And, and, um, yeah, I mean, there were days that I didn't get along with him, and I thought, you know, the same things that everybody else thought about him. But at the end of the day, he knew he, what he was about. He knew what he was doing. There was a lot of thought behind it, and, and we could argue it was, it was pretty successful. Yeah, I respect it. I respect it. I just, you know, I just am curious to play next to him. And, you know, you talk about, you talk about villains. I, I personally think VAR has killed the villain. Uh, and that, that's true. That, you know, the things, the things that made Nick successful uh, and, you know, let's not, let's not lie. A lot of those things that he did, I, I did just more discreetly. Um, you know, I, I say, I don't know. I don't know if I'd be able to play in today's game. If uh, VAR is constantly looking at every time a guy's down behind the ball, right. um, you know, but those are things that kind of made me successful when, when guys wanted to, you know, mouth off or, or do the, you know, dribble a little too much. Like you mentioned, Freddie used to do. No, I agree with you on VAR. I, I think it's homogenizing the game a little bit. Everything's for review. There's less human error, uh, even though there's now VAR error, we could argue. I don't know. It's, it's, uh, that's a bigger conversation. I think we're so early into the VAR experiment, it's going to be hard to know what it's going to look like long term, but it feels like every single decision is being scrutinized as opposed to just letting the game breathe. But uh, I don't know how much time you have on this podcast, so... Yeah, yeah, we, we're not going that way. We're not, that was just, I was just saying for the villains, I think it's sure. killed the oh, villains. Oh yeah, for in sure, there. for sure, but, for sure. But but I don't I don't want to discredit how long you were at uh, Kansas City and the things you did there. Uh, but I will I want to go and we can we're going to come back to it. So don't think I'm just uh, brushing over that as if like it was a, a small feat. But before we get to the reentry draft, uh, what what do you have? Did you have a falling out with uh, with the coaches in, in uh, Kansas City? You kind of went through a couple there, I, I think. Uh, you know, you had Brian Bliss, and I know you like Bob Gansler a lot. And then you end up playing for Peter Vermees. But uh, what what ends up happening that caused you to enter the uh, the reentry draft? Well, I would say that first and foremost, when I got traded to Kansas City, it was to replace Peter Vermees. He was still of an age where he could play, and I think he always felt like I was a guy that I, I had a target on my back with him. I always felt that way, and that he never really liked me. Um, now that's me projecting. He could be say he thought the other uh, thought otherwise, but he was so entrenched in Kansas City at that time that him and Bob Gansler got into it. And instead of Bob trying to maybe resolve their issues between them, he just went and got me instead. And and I think that always burned uh, Peter the wrong way. Um, so fast forward to when Peter, who at this point is building a, a youth soccer empire in Kansas City and doing a very good job of that, he. He starts to understand that the Hunts are trying to move the team, and he helps find an ownership group that I think, well, that, that bought it. And at that point, he becomes GM president or whatever his role was at that time, not coach. 
and he ends up hiring Kurt Anolfo. So Kurt and Chris Kelderman were the, the coaching staff um, and learned a lot from those guys because they were still learning how to be coaches too, and I was the captain, and so we were all learning together, and that was a really good opportunity for me, again, to learn from others, to listen, to see how it goes, uh, learn how to coach because I was an extension of, of Kurt on the field and how to get the most out of the guys around me. So really valuable experience, but it always felt like Peter was going to take the coaching job. He just didn't want to do it right away. I think he wanted to see how it went learn the GM side of things first, the business side of things first. And then when it was time, if the team was struggling, he could come in and be the hero. And he uh, clearly has. I think he's done a very good job as a coach. I always liked him as a coach. I just thought some of the things he did behind the scenes were a little bit unsavory. Well, we got into it a little bit. He'd asked me as captain to do some things that I thought, you know, I, were what? It just, just little things where I, I just felt unnecessary. And it was a test. He was testing me to see my loyalty. In hindsight, it's a lot easier for me to say this. And I failed all those tests, you know, because I'm a bit stubborn and he's, he's very <laughs> stubborn. And he stripped the captaincy away from me. And, and I just never felt like I was one of his guys. He wanted to build around other players and not me. Um, you know, I won't get into some of the stuff that he said to me or what he said about other players that have now been really successful for him. But uh, it's, it's pretty funny. I, I, in some ways, we're probably a lot alike, and that's maybe why we butt heads. But, but um, I really, well, respect, I really well, respect what he's done in Kansas City. And... and what really burned me, Bobby, just to finish this point, is that when I got let go, when they made a decision not to sign me, I didn't hear from anybody on the coaching staff. Kerry Zavagnin was my roommate on the road. He was on the coaching staff, didn't call me. Nobody. Nothing, nobody called me. Nobody from the organization called me. I was there for eight years. I won countless awards. I was one of the community service leaders, all that stuff. And it just didn't matter, man. It just didn't matter. Nobody picked up the phone to show me that respect. So I had to hear from my agent that I was going into the reentry draft. Eight years, dude. I put, I put my... my career on the line. You know, you get concussions, you get injuries, you get all types of stuff representing the city and the team. And the fans were fine. They were great. I love them. But the fact that nobody from the, the team would call to tell me what's up, to give me the heads up, to even give me that respect, whether you liked me or not. Yeah, I still, I still can't, like, I can't, that, not to say I can't forgive it, but I'm not going to forget it. And, and it's something I would never do to anybody else. So I appreciate Peter Vermes for putting me through that because now I've learned a valuable lesson on how not, on how not to treat people. Well, the the real reason I asked that question was uh, you were recently inducted into the Kansas City. <laughs> what do, do we call it the, the the Ring of Honor or the basically the Hall of I don't Fame? Know. The Hall of Fame. I'm I, I'm going to call it the Ring of Honor. And sure. the reason that it's it's so funny to me is Peter Vermes was also honored, so he therefore had to be with you, and y'all are now <laughs> ring buddies. Uh, you know, and 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 that's that's the that was a long way for me to get to that point, but uh, it was to say that you were you were recognized as a legend uh, by becoming you know one of the one of the first guys to be put into that that uh, elite group. But it was kind of funny that y'all were y'all were put in together. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, we were, and at that point, enough time had passed, and him and I have spoken. And, you know, it is what it is. But when I think about those moments in particular, obviously you can tell that I get a little emotional, get a little fired up because I just I just can't believe they would treat a player that they seem to have valued uh, in that way, whether they were going to move him on or not. So maybe that was their way of, of tying it up and, and making sure that I felt valued, that that I was a legend of the club and that I'd accomplished enough to to warrant that consideration. And I can't thank them enough to have my name in the stadium is an incredible honor and to be a part of the history of the club forever with that stadium is is uh, something I'll always cherish. Going in with Peter was fine. It was me, Peter, and Lamar Hunt all going in together. Uh, his son Clark was there to represent the Hunt family, and it was a big thrill to be there with my family and friends 
and uh, had no issue sharing it with Peter. He deserved it as well. He's done so much for the club. Uh, what he's built there uh, has been nothing short of amazing. What he continues to build, his vision, his ideas, uh, all great. And, and they're all growing the sport in a positive way. So I have nothing but respect for the guy. Yeah, yeah, that's... You know, that's a pretty good group uh, to be inducted with. So uh, let's let's go back to the point where we're at the re-entry draft. Uh, are, tell me about what what are you thinking? Are you thinking you're you're going somewhere cool? Are you thinking? <laughs> uh, uh, tell me tell me your emotions on that one. Well, it was me and Josh Wolf, and you know we're the two of the older guys that were eligible to move on. And I think DC United had the first pick, and I talked to Ben Olson at the time. He had just transitioned into the coach. And he was wondering, you know, what I was looking to do or whatever it may be. And he ended up going that they were going to get Josh. And so uh, then I started looking at who was next. And it was Chivas USA, baby. As I've learned, uh, that's where center backs careers go to die. I should have known that before I accepted to go there. <laughs> but, but, it, but it was a big thrill for me because, I mean, if you count them off, it's me, Danny Califf, you know, Claudio Suarez, Carlos Bocanegra. He, all, all careers go to die at Chivas USA uh, for defenders in particular. So, um, so, but, but what's really cool for me was that I got to go home. I'm from LA. They played where the Galaxy played, the Home Depot Center at the time. So to be able to end my career in front of my friends and family who have supported me for so long, where I played my college ball, uh, um, was a big thrill for me. So it wasn't that hard of a choice, but I knew with new coaching staff, with Robin and Greg, and trying to you know cobble a team together that hadn't had recent success was going to be a struggle. And unfortunately, I got a concussion two games in, and and I retired after that. But uh, again, it was another valuable learning experience for me because I got to stay on the coaching staff. They let me do some coaching. I'm very uh, indebted to to Robin and Greg for allowing me to coach the reserve team because I had the reserve league at the time and to work with the younger players, do some academy stuff and learn about the business side and the sports psych side and all types of different stuff. So I really appreciated that. And then they allowed me to do some TV stuff on the side as well. So I kind of got to you know, dip my toe in a lot of different waters and see what the, what the best fit was. Yeah, and for for those that uh, that don't know that Chivas team, uh, also on the team, Zach Thornton, he had Juan Pablo Angel, Alejandro Moreno, and Heath Pierce. Those are all names uh, most people know if they follow the sport in this country. But uh, what Jimmy did not mention was he had the greatest stat line of any center back ever for Chivas USA, and that he scored in half of the games he played there, <laughs> uh, which which is uh, which is pretty impressive. You also had a yellow card in half the games you played, but that's it. Uh, that's don't don't let people fool you. So, so we won't we uh we won't go too far into the concussions. But Jimmy uh, ends up getting a concussion. He talks about his uh some of the things that he transitioned into. But before we do that, um, let's talk about this. The teams you played for, and this is this is MLS 1.0 into 2.0. You played for the Flash, the Clash. You were a base seal on loan. You played for the Railway Man team or railway men, I guess, in Poland, you were a wizard and you ended as a goat. <laughs> and then now I guess, are, are you a Glenn? Is that, is that safe to say? Are you still yes, doing the Glens? Or is I am. That... I'm, I'm going to be uh, the head coach for the San Francisco Glens in the USL league two, uh, this year, last season, I was kind of a co-head coach with Javier Ayala, who went on to help coach uh, USF this year. So I'm going to be spearheading, uh, the team really excited about it. And again, it's another valuable learning experience to, to continue to get better at what I like to do. Well, I've just just looking at the mascots. I mean, you were you were destined to be something great with uh with those mascots, and uh, you know, and then and then we also lo- I, you know, and I love history. So looking at the stadiums you played in, you played in Spartan Stadium, Arrowhead Stadium. What what was the baseball field in Kansas City? What was 
Uh, it was, was community, it? community America Ballpark. And I just want to give a shout out there because I scored, I think, 12 of my 20 career goals there. I mean, I was on fire at that place because a throw-in was like a corner kick. <laughs> Uh, you know, I would jump into the crowd because the crowd was right there. I mean, those were those were some fun years. Uh, everything else about it, not so great, but uh, me scoring a lot of goals was fun. Yeah, and then, and then you also played at LA Galaxy Stadium or StubHub at the time, so that was cool too. So, uh, all right, man. Well, well, we uh, we we'll kind of that was your career per se. Um, we could talk about. The thing that I like is kind of more of the fun side of this is we talk about uh, you, you got the co-humanitarian of the year in 2009. You were mm-hmm. working with nothing but nets. I worked with them as well. I think uh, th- with Kai Kamara, you did athletes against autism. Uh, you, you worked with the child protection center. I think uh, your wife helped with that. Um, you also designed school presentations where you went and visited with kids and you talked about the importance of staying in school and teamwork. Uh, the reason that is all important is that now you go around uh, and you're basically a one-man wrecking crew where you you play video games and, and you tell kids now uh, to play video games. You were at a union or PA meeting uh, a year or two ago where you were talking about uh, the eSports. So it's kind of like you've come full circle from <laughs> telling kids not to play video games and to be active to now saying, hey, play video games. There's a future in it. Well, yeah, I guess in some ways I still want the kids to stay active, of course. But yeah, I can definitely see that there's more of a career and a future in esports. Uh, as crazy as it is at times for me to be like, wow, people want to watch other people play video games. But, you know, it's it's quite impressive once you get immersed in it. And there's some really talented people that are that are playing at the highest levels and they put in the same type of time and dedication that it takes to be a high level pro, just like we did as players. And so once you start to strip it away and you realize that this is their passion and what they care about, it's, it's really easy to buy into what they're doing and what they're trying to accomplish. But yeah, I guess in the big scheme of things, it's pretty funny that, that uh, I've come full circle on that. But no, the kids still need to stay active. That's, that's still very important. <laughs> well, do you, do you play? I mean, let me, I, I love video games. I just don't play because I forget to blink and my eyes start bleeding. And I, and I, <laughs> I know you're competitive. I, I'm too competitive. I end up breaking controllers or, uh, I mean, are you, are you able to play and keep your cool or, no. I mean, I, 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 no, no. You know, what's funny is that there's actually this function in FIFA it's called pro clubs. And I don't know if you're familiar with it or not, but essentially what it is, is that me, you, and we could get nine of our friends. We'd all play FIFA together at the same time. And we'd all control one position. And it's, it's an incredible, incredible way to really connect and, and stay, uh, you know, even though if we're living across the country or whatever it may be, to stay connected and, and to, uh, to do something fun together. And I really want pro clubs to, bro, to blow up in a, in a meaningful way because I feel like it could resurrect our careers, Bobby. You know what I mean? We could go back to being center backs. Or if we wanted to live out our, our fantasies and be, you know, box-to-box midfielders or something, um, yeah, you know, we could I'm, do, we could I'm do that too. definitely I'm a forward. I'm not, I'm not, I get invited to play in, in men's league games. And I say, if, if you don't need a forward, then you don't need me. And, and I never get a call back. So, um, well, no, let, let's, so Jimmy now is, uh, you know, most people, a lot of people will know you from kick TV. You help get that up to a million subscribers. Uh, we talk about gaming. You're on Twitch, uh, Instagram, very funny on Twitter. Uh, and then you've got your own, uh, YouTube channel. That's, uh, you know, 
growing rapidly. You have over 100,000 subscribers. Uh, you know, you're known in that world as Conradinho. I hope That's I pronounced right. that correctly. Yeah, close uh, enough. You know, this is this is a weird thing to come out of my mouth, but you're known uh, you're known for your warm ballers uh, in every city <laughs> you go to. I know you had a you had a podcast that I'm convinced you just created uh, to say Jimmy Conrad's ass. Um, you know, hey, listen, and, and you look back on your so- career. No, 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 no. It's the American Soccer Spectacular. <laughs> the acronym just the acronym just kind of. Fell into place. I don't know yeah, how the acronym got that there. Had, that had nothing to do with it, I'm sure. No. But But we talk about, you know, you got into broadcasting. Uh, you know, you're, you're hosting a TV show uh, with La Liga, an English version of that. Uh, you've done analyst work. I know you wrote for ESPN. Uh, you had your own radio show and podcast when you played. Uh, it, it's funny because when you talk to guys that when they're playing, everyone always says, oh, I'm going to go into coaching. I'm going to go in the front office. And, uh, you know, I, I know that you're, you've been lucky and that you've played with a lot of guys that that ended up getting that dream and, and were able to do that. But for the reality of most guys now coming out, that that's not a real option and, and they're not doing it. You seem like a guy that you always wanted to go into media and you did it. I mean, and, and for a lot of people, it's, there aren't many guys that can do that. And there's only a handful of guys that have tried it. Uh, most of them have done it for a couple of years and they're out, but, but it looks like you're, you know, you're really getting some, some traction to growing even more. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and how do you feel, how do you feel about where you were when you finished playing to where you are now? Uh, you know, did you always know this was something you wanted to do and are you happy with where you're at and where do you want to go? Man, that's a lot of questions all in one. And I feel like we're, we're doing a therapy yeah, you session. You can do now. it. You can yeah, do we it. Can do a therapy session. So when I first came out, you know, as I mentioned uh, at the back end of my Chivas career, I was still under contract, still helping them coach, even though I was technically retired uh, due to concussions. I was doing some in-studio stuff with Eric Winalda and Christopher Sullivan for MLS games. And that was a good experience. Eric Winalda is a piece of work and, and as is Christopher Sullivan. So you learn a lot about that. You learn a lot about production, how things are made, what they try to do, how they have success. You learn all this stuff, right? You absorb all the time. But I learned pretty quickly, and they also put me on color games. And I would be in a small, tiny booth, and I think Stu Holden and all these guys still do it. But we call these FIFA Club World Cup games at 2 in the morning or something. And I was you know, the low guy on the totem pole, so I'd, I'd say, yeah, okay, I'll do it. I'll get some reps and see how it goes. And we did one in particular where – and I, I playing it straight. I, Bobby, it's really hard for you and me in particular. Like we, we're always looking for the joke. We're always trying to keep things lighthearted. So I did this one uh, game in particular. It was Taro FC from Panama versus FC Dallas in Dallas. Okay, Concacaf Champions League game. There was nobody there. Okay, so well, I'm in. We're in the booth, and I basically the, the I never worked with this play-by-play guy before. He throws it over to me, and I say, Hey, you know what? Still looks like there's plenty of good seats available. You know, and the producer laughs in my ear. I say this on live television. He laughs in my ear. I'm like, Oh, that is gold. I'm just gonna keep this up. So I start making fun of like Kevin Hartman's hair. And I completely made it mystery, a science theater 3000, just looking for the jokes on every, I mean, who, nobody was watching. So why not have a little bit, well, I don't know if anybody was watching, but nobody was at the game. So why not add a little fun, uh, with our commentary? Well, I got social media was just getting started and either people loved it or they hated it. And three months later, FC Dallas came up to me and they said, Hey, we really didn't appreciate you, uh, having that commentary. And I was like, Oh, I'm so sorry. I just, you know, kind of explain what I just explained to you and, and then they offered me the job to be the FC Dallas, FC Dallas color guy like an hour later. Like, well, how does that work then? Like, do you like me or do you not like me? I don't understand how that goes. But I, but I learned quite quickly that that type of broadcasting wasn't 
it, it didn't really tick all the boxes for me. Or if I was in studio, they'd be like, all right, Jimmy, you're going to have, you know, 15 seconds to break down Liverpool versus Man City. And then you'd be like, oh, well, the, the, the team in red with Fernando Torres, he did really well. Like, okay, thanks, Jimmy. And you're like, you don't even get to explain yourself, you know? So when the opportunity came to go to Kick TV, to go to New York, to be on a YouTube channel, and I didn't really know much about YouTube at that time in terms of content creation and, and content creators. And I didn't know what I was walking into, but I knew that I was going to get more repetition. I knew that I was going to get more freedom to be myself. And that just felt like a better fit. And I think that's proven to be true. But I will say that after that, when I retired and it was official, uh, I was depressed for about probably nine months to a year because I didn't, you're still attached to being a player, all your habits and discipline, everything that you know, your whole identity is wrapped up in being a player. That's what your family knows you as. That's what your friends know you as, your wife, your everybody, that's what they know you as. And when that's stripped away, it was really hard to know, well, what do I do next? Who am I? What am I about? What do I want to do? And uh, it took about nine, nine months to a year to be like, okay, this, this path that I'm on, even though we could argue that I'm built for media and I was already doing media-like stuff, it, it, I didn't know if that was going to be what I wanted to do. But once I got to go over to the Euros, I went to Poland and Ukraine for the Euros, and we got to get outside and run around and have fun stuff and experience stuff as a fan. I was like, yeah, this is for me. I'm in. I want to, you're going to pay me to get drunk with fans? Yeah, I'm, I'm in on this. This sounds fun. And so that's when I started to really kind of like, all right, I'm going to jump in with both feet. But it took a while to make that happen. And I can see why it's hard for players as they transition because, you know, and I'd like to help them in some ways. And I've talked to the Players Union about being somebody that they can rely on as a resource to kind of help these guys work through stuff because uh, it, it's not easy transitioning. You go from kind of everybody having your back when you're on the team to good luck, man. <laughs> enjoy enjoy your, your post-career. We'll see what ends up happening to you, you know, and it's, it's, it's a tough one. Yeah. And I mean, I, I, every guy I've talked to, uh, you know, has had some form of depression on some level and, um, you know, I, I'm with you on that. I think we, we were lighthearted and and how we did it and people, you know, a lot of guys, I know guys asked you this guys asked me, you know, Hey, how are you holding it together? Or how are you having so much fun in your post career? And it's mm -hmm. like, look, I, I was a happy, I was a happy guy before I played. Sure. I was a happy guy while I played and I'm a happy guy while, when I'm done, but that doesn't mean I still don't miss it. And I know that that's probably the same for you. Is that, is that right? Yeah, that's right. Um, I mean, there was a time where, and you still have that distance too, where you still know a lot of the guys that were on, on the field that are still playing, you know, you're, you're, if you're in that media spotlight, you probably refrain from being too critical because you don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, you know. Uh, and as more time gets removed, you start to you start to learn and pick your spots as to when to criticize and how to criticize uh, to kind of work through that. Now, I'm probably I say that like everybody's still my chum. I'm sure there's plenty of people now that I've gotten into this like that guy's such an a hole, you know. But uh, but that just comes with the job, and and that's just part of it. I think they know me outside of it. And they know that hopefully they understand that this is just kind of what I do and I have to have opinions on things. That's why people come watch me. So it's, uh, it's been interesting. Yeah. And, and I, keep, I just keep going down this rabbit hole. I try to give everything that I have. A lot of the habits and disciplines that I had as a player now bear themselves out in this post-career, this second career that I have. And, and uh, I just try to be better than I was the day before. And it continues to lead me to having a lot of fun and doing a lot of fun things that I never, never could have imagined. Never could have imagined. Yeah, no, it's impressive. Uh, and it, we're coming, you know, I'll, I'll wrap it up here. I had, uh, I'll, I'll give it the last couple of questions. You talk about, um, you talked about wanting to help guys. And, and for me, there's no, there's no better success story, uh, from a personal branding standpoint than, than Jimmy Conrad. And, and I look at, 
you know, you, you took the criticism you wrote when you played, you had your own radio show, you were very vocal, uh, and you know, you started making videos and even before you were done, um, you know, in a time when today that's a little more accepted, but you, you were a bit of a trendsetter. And uh, how do you tell guys now, even though it's more accepted, guys still, uh, they don't show their personality. Um, how do you tell, or what would you say to these young guys that, you know, young players, young professionals, people that are, are coming up, uh, what would you tell them in terms of a, a brand? You know, there's people that are going to hate on what you're doing. Uh, they're going to try to put you in a box. But you, you made it, man. Like you got beyond all that. You still were able, you were still able to play and you're still doing what you love to do. Um, What do you tell these guys? Not, not only that are professional soccer players, but guys that are going to, you know, guys and girls that are saying, you know what, I'm not really getting to express my personality and what I do, but you know, you're a guy that did it. What do you tell them, uh, you know, to go forward and do be the person they want to be? Well, I would say first to, to pick your spots. You know, you don't, I don't think you want to overdo it. We've been around players, especially young players, that feel like they need to prove themselves. For instance, I had a rookie come in with me, Chris Carrieri. He came in with, uh, with uh, Eddie Robinson from North Carolina. He, he was the number one draft pick in the draft, so he went out and bought a red Corvette. And we were like, what are you doing, you knucklehead? Like, what? Like, you don't have to prove anything to us, man. Just get up here and, and run and work for the team, and that's how you'll earn our respect, not by buying a red Corvette with red leather. I mean, I remember going with them to practice, like, what the hell is wrong with you? You know? Um, and so so I think that that it takes time to – I wasn't, like, coming out of the gate doing media stuff. And if I had – or if Twitter had been around or Instagram had been around when I was a player, I probably would have eased my way into it like a lot of other guys because you still have to figure out who you are as a player and your identity with regard to that. And then – as you start to perform well, you don't want, I guess I'll say this, you don't want the coach to have an excuse as to why they're not going to play you, right? You want it to only be about performance, not something that's happening off the field. So I'd be pretty careful if I was a player until you became a little bit more established, like a Kai Kamara, for instance, who I think has done a very good job of, you know, being visible and being himself, you know, but he's also been a guy that's been traded seven times, you know, so you, you got to be, you know, but I think that's just his personality in general. I think he was already getting traded prior to social media having as much relevancy as it does now. So it just kind of depends. But I would make sure that whatever you put out there is true to you. And if you can stand behind whatever you say, then that's the most important thing. Um, You know, I would probably refrain from politics and try to keep things, you know, even keel, more about sport related, unless you felt really passionate about stuff, um, because then you become quite polarizing. And, you know, I guess in sport, I don't know, it's up to you. I mean, it's just if, if politics speak to you, then speak about politics. You know, I actually do appreciate, I say that more overall, but but if there's a, a cause or a movement that's worth getting behind, uh, then 100% go ahead and do that. Because, you know, and some days I wish I, I did a little bit more of that. But, you know, everybody's got their own path that they have to walk. And I pick my spots and I do a little bit more of that uh, behind the scenes and, you know, what charities I support and why and blah, 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 blah. So that's a tough question, man. I think it's, it's there's a lot of layers to it. I think your coach is also going to dictate stuff. Like if you have Bob Bradley as your coach who hates that type of stuff, you know, he's going to be probably frowning upon or potentially giving you a hard time about whatever you put out, whatever tweet, you know, you put out that might look in his mind, you know, might reflect poorly on him or the team or you as a player. So it kind of, you just have to pick your spots. I think I go back to that. But in terms of building personal brand, you know, um, if there's something that you want to do to get out and express yourself, having a podcast is really good. You say that radio show that I had in Kansas city. What I yep, really yep. learned about that show was we had to do it every Wednesday and it was live and it was in a and it was in a bar and i i had to face the music 
every week when we didn't win, fans would come in and be like, what's the deal? What's going on? And you have to stick around afterwards and talk to them. And, and that was tough because you had to learn how to defend your team, but also be open enough to let them know that, hey, these things are going on. And it really helped me craft opinions that not necessarily, not necessarily were safe, but, but were thought out. And I think there's a lot of emotion that gets wrapped up in, in social media. You have this immediacy if somebody's coming at you to, to respond right away. And, and I knew every Wednesday I was going to have to face the music, win or lose. And uh, when we lost, I had to be, okay, what am I, how am I going to say this today that's, that's palatable for my teammates, palatable for my coach and the club, but also palatable to the fans so they feel like I'm, I'm being real with them. And that takes time, right? And, and I'm glad I had those opportunities early on to kind of craft my voice. And as you mentioned as well, I got to write for ESPN and Sports Illustrated for 10 years. And because of those opportunities, that allowed me to, to because you could write, uh, and think it through and you, you know, took a pass and you had a rough draft and you worked through it and like, okay, this is how I'm going to be perceived if I say it like this. All that stuff was very, really, really valuable for me and what I do now. So if people are really interested in having a, a gig in media, um, you know, I would just say you have to start forming opinions now. What do you think about that? Because every time I go somewhere, there's some player from a team who goes, hey, what do you think about my team? And you're like, uh, you know, you just, you have to know and you have to have an opinion on what their team's all about. And then that's how you earn respect. And you got to do the work, got to do the research and all that good stuff. And this is kind of a tangent, but, but I'd say from a, a young player, just, just, pick, <laughs> just pick your spots, just pick your spots, be, be thoughtful about what you post. Well, there you go. I mean, that's a, that was a long winded, but, but I think it was very relevant. Um, that's what I do. That's for those what I, that you, I am long winded. For, for, for those of you that this is the first time you've heard Jimmy, uh, Jimmy's not short of opinions. Um, uh, and obviously this is an MLSPA uh, podcast. For those that don't know, Jimmy was a rep for a long, long time. Five of those years, uh, he was an executive board member. Um, and without, I know, I do not want to hear your troll job on promotion relegation. We're not there yet. Um, but I do want you to tell me kind of what you, we've talked about how you've gone from being undrafted to being traded. You were in the reentry draft. You, uh, you were an all-star, you played in a world cup. I mean, you've kind of done it all from the American side, uh, the perspective you went overseas, you could have gone overseas. We didn't get into too much of that with, uh, your agent and all that, but, uh, w- what are you where do you want to see these next negotiations go uh, and the ones that are coming up versus where we've been? Cause I mean, heck man, you've been through, you've been through a lot of these more than most. I think for me, a lot of uh, the success or future success of the league is going to come down to club autonomy, allowing clubs to, to spend what they want on whoever they want, uh, giving the power to the clubs and, and decentralizing it a little bit. That might seem like a, a knock on single entity, but what I would say is, Single Entity did what it set out to do, and that's to have a stabilized league. And I just wish that we had a mechanism in place that allowed the league to evolve from that. And it seems like we're holding on to what we've always known, and at some point we're going to have to kind of release that. Um, I don't know who in the league is is working on that or even thinking that way, or if they're still like, nope, Single Entity is the way to go. But uh, it would be nice to see us kind of release the reins and allow the clubs in particular to sign whoever they want and, and suffer the, the positives and negatives, <clears throat> excuse me, of their signings. You know, in some ways, you know, it's, it's an assumed loss or a centralized loss if, if a DP doesn't, well, DPs are separate, but if there's some kind of signing that makes it happen. And I would just try to make the rules as simple as possible. You know, you'd lose, if you gave all the club autonomy, you'd, you don't need TAM and GAM and HAM and whatever else AMs are out there 
to to circumvent these these rules that in some ways feel archaic. Just if if it's up to the clubs to depend. If you want to put a salary cap on them, fine, but it's up to them how they how they spend their money. And, and I think that would uh, go a long way towards maybe trying to find that that competitiveness that that we want to see. And because we're all kind of in it together as owners and, and as a league, it sometimes feels like maybe we're not being as competitive. Um, as we, as we could be, as you see in the other leagues. And if they're worried about salaries exploding like it did in the NASL, and that's why NASL folded, we're so much farther past the NASL now, and that's why I'd like to see uh, some type of evolution uh, on that side of things. <clears throat> and I think the players are in a good position to to force some leverage on that. And, and I think it's only a good thing, and I think the league should should embrace that as a positive and not uh, as something that it's us against them. Where I think we're all trying to grow the game uh, in a positive way, and and the players have to fight for what they believe in and and what I think they've they've earned. I, I like that answer, and uh, you know we uh, we we hear a lot of guys' opinions on it, but I, like I said, you've been around uh, the longest of uh, of the guys we've had on here, and that's a that's a very good answer. So uh, we're gonna wrap this bad boy up. Uh, I, I want to give you an opportunity to promote uh, or talk about any whether it's uh, charities or. Uh, what what's Jimmy Conrad got going on uh, that you want to bring some attention to in the world? Well, you guys can follow me on all social media platforms at Jimmy Conrad or my YouTube channel, The Jimmy Conrad. You can just type in Jimmy Conrad. It'll pop up for sure. Uh, that's Twitch, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. If you're into TikTok for all you eight-year-olds that listen to the MLSPA podcast, uh, I am on TikTok for you guys. Uh, get, to, <laughs> get to try some stuff there. It's a lot of fun. And then, uh, you know, if you're interested in supporting a uh, you know, lower division soccer, my San Francisco Glens will be kicking off next year in May. And what we do with them is I'm creating a, a scholarship foundation to help some underserved kids uh, have the opportunity to not only get their fees and their dues paid for, but we'll also provide a tutor and food and, and training to and to and from practice. You know, all those little things that, that don't uh, always get seen, you know, just one thing to get pay for fees or whatever it may be. But trying to provide opportunities for kids uh, in this in the city in particular uh, to make sure that they have an opportunity to showcase what they're all about and show off their personalities. And so uh, I'll be working on that as well. Um, yeah, I'm always donating to Street Soccer USA. I love football. Anything I can do to help grow the game here and, and to give opportunities to people that might not have them otherwise is something that I've always been about and something that I try to champion, and, and I will continue to do so moving forward. I'll tell you what, Jimmy, uh, you're never one that's short on words. I'm really <laughs> happy that you were able you were, you were able to join us today. Um you know, I, I think uh, you're one of the best to best to do it from a, a center back position, and and you are the best one social media wise uh, in the U.S. game for sure. Um, but uh, thank you for coming on. I think the fans they love you. It'll, it'll be a good listen. Hopefully, they heard some stuff they haven't heard before. Uh, and, and like you said, uh, he's on every every type of social media that there is. <laughs> you can go and find him. Um, thanks again for coming on, and uh, good luck with you in San Francisco and all your channels as well. Thanks, Bobby. Appreciate it. Jimmy is as real as they come. I appreciate him coming on and, and talking about, you know, his emotions throughout his career and into his retirement. Uh, he can ramble with the best of them, myself included. And uh, if you liked what you heard, there's good news. He posts a ton of content, so you can get a lot more from him out there if you, uh, if you want. So uh, keep an eye out for uh, all the great things he has going on, especially if uh, you like to participate in pickup games. The warm ballers come to... Uh, Almost every city, not just in America, but around the world. Uh, keep an eye out for when he comes. Go join him. Uh, in the Where Are They Now segment, 
Jimmy started off talking about Joe Cannon. I mean, he mentioned a lot of guys, but, uh, you know, we'll, we'll stick to the ones that I, I could uh, at least track down their whereabouts a little bit. Uh, Joe Cannon. Uh, Joe Cannon was doing some commentating radio broadcasting for a while, and now he's the, uh, the current executive director uh, for the Mountain View Los Altos Soccer Club. Uh, but he's also out there. He's continuing his education and uh, and all forms of, of business and entrepreneurship. And Joe's always doing big things. So uh, good on him for uh, everything he's accomplished so far in, in his post career. Uh, Nick Garcia uh, in Kansas City. He still lives there. Uh, he was doing some analyst work for a little while, um, but he's the executive director uh, for a local soccer club. Uh, he started his own company that works with uh, for-profit, but also non-profit companies. And he's also uh, a match evaluator for MLS, uh, meaning he's at most games, kind of making sure uh, you know everyone's doing what they're supposed to be doing, which is uh, the most ironic thing uh, that a guy could do, but I guess no one is better suited to do that than him. Uh, Jeff Agus, he went on to uh, finish playing and, and he was inducted into the U.S. Soccer Hall of Fame. Uh, I know in D.C. United, he's a legend. I think he's in their uh, their Hall of Fame there as well. Uh, he ended up becoming a technical director and then a sporting director for the New York Red Bulls, but he later transitioned into a role with uh, Major League Soccer, where he is the technical director of competition. What does that mean? It means he finds players like me, guys that kind of try to get away with things on the field, and uh, he would review them with a panel, and uh, they would find me. So I, I've had a lot of interactions with Jeff over the years, but I also believe he uh, he does a lot more than that in that role. That's just one of the examples of what they do. Uh, Mike Burns uh, talked about him. He was the general manager for the New England Revolution for eight years. Um, and I'll be interested to see where he ends up in the, over the next uh, next couple of years. Eric Winalda was a longtime media personality, uh, as a broadcaster, analyst. Uh, he's on Twitter. He's off Twitter. He gets into it. He can really incite some emotion with some people, you know, as the, the good forwards can. Uh, but now he is the current head coach for the Las Vegas Lights. And I believe their mascot is the Llama. And therefore, that is why they're my favorite USL team. Uh, but really... Uh, you know, Eric's done done some great things. He's been a guy that people have followed over the years and uh, look forward to seeing how far he can take uh, his coaching career. Well, there you have it. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, Jimmy uh, Jimmy's long-winded and he could talk about uh, going any direction, as you can tell, uh, but he is very knowledgeable and he's a great example for uh, for anyone out there, really, just to take risks and, and pursue your dreams because he's doing it and you know he's as happy, uh, happy as they come. Thank you, Jimmy, and uh, thank you guys for listening. Thank you for listening to Play By Players. Visit playbyplayerspod.com for more episodes or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This has been a production of the MLSPA. Learn more at mlsplayers.org.